Uh, when I was younger, I was desperate to travel and have adventures, uh, even if it meant um, really early starts at 4am in the mountains and maybe getting a bit sick with altitude sickness. Uh, for some of you, that probably sounds like your worst possible idea of having fun. Uh, for some people, the pursuit of happiness might mean going on um, a TV show like Love Island, uh, seeking to uh, find love and fame and fortune. But for many of us, that probably sounds like the worst idea of uh, happiness ever. But often we're still seeking our satisfaction uh, in those sort of areas, aren't we? Uh, Maybe we're looking for uh, love and romance. uh, Or we feel that if we just had a a bit more money, uh, then we'd be happy. Or we want to make a name for ourselves and be successful. Uh, Or we look to family and relationships. Uh, or, Or maybe in some ways we're seeking all of those things. Uh, We all have a longing in us to be satisfied and to be happy, don't we? But it's often so elusive. Uh, Back in the 60s, uh, the Rolling Stones were one of the most famous bands uh, of the time. Uh, They had it all, uh, but they sang, I can't get no satisfaction, because I try and I try and I try and I try and I try. I just want to go, I can't get no... Uh, I love that song. Anyway... um, Even if we finally get what we want, uh, it can so easily be taken away from us. Uh, Or we're just left wanting a bit more. Uh, I think Elon Musk, uh, it kind of varies, but I think at the moment uh, he has about, uh, the entrepreneur, if you don't know, has about $200 billion, uh, possibly the richest man in the world, or around about there. Uh, But around about 100 years ago, uh, John Rockefeller uh, had 300 to 400 billion dollars in today's money, about 1% of the entire US economy. Uh, and he was once asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? His reply, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, we might not be as driven uh, as those folks, uh, but there was often a nagging sense that we just want a little bit more, isn't there? Uh, If only I had that, uh, or did this, or if only I achieved that, uh, then I'd be satisfied. Uh, We're thirsty for satisfaction. Uh, And in this uh, amazing encounter today between Jesus and a woman, uh, Jesus speaks to a woman uh, who has a thirst for something better. We're told that Jesus has been uh, traveling, uh, and he's, he's tired from the journey, and so he sits down at a well, Uh, But uh, as he's there, a woman comes to draw water, uh, and she's shocked when Jesus engages her in a conversation, and he asks her for a drink. Uh, Verse 9, she says to him, how is it that you, uh, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, uh, a woman of Samaria? Why is it such a surprise? Uh, What we need to realize here is that uh, Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans, Uh, For various uh, religious and historical reasons, uh, they were hated by the Jews. Uh, Some Jews even saw them as ceremonially, Sarah, I can never say this word, ceremonially unclean. Uh, So even just a a being with a Samaritan could make you unclean. I don't know, but uh, to maybe get a feel for it, imagine um, it's maybe a bit like a a Ukrainian going to a, a river to get water and bumping into a Russian in occupied territory. But it's also the fact uh, she's a woman uh, in a society that marginalized women. 
uh, some Jews at the time, uh, although not everyone, um, held that for a rabbi to, to even spend time speaking to a woman was a waste of his time, or it was even evil. And later on, we read of the disciples uh, arriving at the well a bit later, uh, and we're told that they marveled that he, Jesus, was talking to a woman. We're also told that it's the sixth hour, uh, meaning the middle of the day, uh, and this is a really hot, dry place. Uh, it's been an incredible weekend of weather, hasn't it? But uh, we don't really mind going out at any time of the day, uh, just anything to get a little bit of warmth in the UK. But over there, uh, the worst time to fetch water was the middle of the day. Uh, it was absolutely scorching. So why is she fetching water on her own in the middle of the day? Uh, it seems that she's an outcast from society. Uh, and we get an insight into why uh, later on in the passage. So she's a woman, uh, a Samaritan, an outcast. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, didn't we? Uh, a man right at the, the top of society, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, but this woman is very different. But Jesus is willing to break every cultural or social barrier. Uh, and even in his weary state, Jesus ministers to her. He has time for her. He's willing to teach her and, and speak to her about why he's come. Last week uh, with Tom, we saw that most famous verse uh, in the Bible probably. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, and here, straight after that, in John's Gospel, uh, is a real-life picture uh, that whoever comes to Jesus can have eternal life. Whoever believes, whoever you are, whatever you've done, uh, wherever you are from, however much of an outsider you feel, Jesus cares about you and he wants to speak to you. As an aside, uh, if we're Christians here today, uh, are we willing to minister to the marginalized in our society? Even when we're tired? Uh, do we have Jesus' heart for the marginalized? Uh, or those who society considers an out as outcasts? Uh, do we have a heart that seeks to reach out uh, even if it could be awkward, uh, even if it means crossing barriers. So back to the story, uh, this woman says, uh, how is it that you, Jesus, are asking me for a drink? Uh, and Jesus gives her a bit of a curveball reply, doesn't he, uh, in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God uh, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman thinks he means uh, water in the literal sense, doesn't she? Uh, and so she says, verse 11, uh, you don't have anything to get water with. Uh, you don't have a bucket. Uh, the well is deep. Uh, where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And I don't miss the irony here, uh, because Jesus is far greater than Jacob. She just hasn't seen it yet. Uh, this well was thought to be the great patriarch Jacob's well. Uh, and 
even he had to dig it and find a way to raise the water out of the well. And so she says to Jesus, what are you planning to do? How are you going to get this water? Uh, But Jesus is patient, isn't he? Uh, And he carries on the conversation. And uh, he gives her this amazing life-changing answer in verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will, um, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But the woman still doesn't quite get it, does she? Uh, She says, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Uh, Maybe she's kind of getting that this water that Jesus is offering is something special. Uh, But she seems to think that the bonus of Jesus' special water is that she won't get thirsty again and she won't have to bother going to collect water anymore. But Jesus is talking about a different thirst here. Uh, He's saying that all of us have a a soul thirst, a a spiritual thirst. I don't know if you've ever been properly thirsty, like parched. Not just needing a drink, but properly thirsty. Thirsty. Uh, my friend and I uh, camped out um, high in the Alps once, and uh, we had to melt um, water, uh, melt snow for water, and, um, and we didn't really end up drinking enough overnight. Uh, and on our climb the next day, uh, I've never been so thirsty. Uh, I felt exhausted, I had a thumping headache, uh, my mouth was dry and sticky. And uh, I just, all I wanted to do was just drop down and start eating the snow. I was desperate to drink. And when we're thirsty for water uh, and we drink, uh, however much we drink, uh, we still get thirsty again, don't we? Uh, It never lasts. Uh, And it's the same in life. Uh, We thirst after something, uh, but when we get it, uh, we just get thirsty again. Uh, It doesn't fully satisfy. Uh, We always need more. Uh, I wonder what it is for you. Sometimes it can be hard to tell, uh, but often it's revealed in our uncontrollable emotions. Uh, Maybe it's when we envy someone, Uh, that's a first. Uh, Or these things are revealed in our sense of disappointment or anger about something, Uh, that's thirst. Uh, Or we have an an obsession, I, I just want to do this or have that. Sometimes it's revealed in what we daydream about or how we spend our money. What are we looking to satisfy that thirst? What are we looking to? Or to put it another way, what are we worshipping? We're all worshipping something. We're all looking to something to satisfy us and we worship it. Our souls are searching for something that satisfies And here Jesus Jesus says, I can satisfy that thirst forever. He says, nothing else is going to do it. So what was this woman searching for? Uh, Where was she seeking to quench that thirst? Uh, We see it in verse 16, because Jesus uh, abruptly changes the conversation, doesn't he? Uh, The woman hasn't really got what he's talking about up to this point, Uh, and so Jesus suddenly changes tack. Uh, It seems a bit out of the blue. 
And he says to her, go call your husband. The woman answers, I have no husband. And then Jesus shows that actually he knows all about her. Uh, He has supernatural knowledge. Uh, He knows she has actually had five husbands. And the man she's with now isn't her husband. Her life has been a a chain of unfulfilling or unsuccessful relationships. Uh, She sought fulfillment in those relationships. Uh, You can imagine uh, maybe each time she thought, this this is the one. Uh, This is going to be it for life. Uh, This is going to sort everything out. Uh, But then something goes wrong and it ends. Uh, But then the next man comes along. Maybe this is the one. And she's left with a deep longing, a thirst for something better. And it's worth saying it probably wasn't all her fault. Uh, From what I can tell, uh, women didn't have a right to divorce back then. Uh, She's been rejected, uh, let down. Uh, She's probably been judged by society. She's an outcast. But Jesus doesn't judge, does he? Uh, He doesn't slam her. He says, I know you, I know everything about you. I know your sin, I know the brokenness and the pain in your life. I know your baggage. Look, I know about all of that. I know about everything. Speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus was firm, wasn't he? You're not in the kingdom, you need to be born again. Jesus can be firm. But here he speaks with compassion and care. He says, I've come to give you life and satisfaction. But he still confronts her, doesn't he? He points out to her where she's been thirsting in the wrong places. The things that she keeps going back to, the well that she keeps going to try and draw from. I wonder what Jesus would point out to us in our lives? Uh, what, what would he show us if he was here today? You see, the thirst we have, it's not all bad. Uh, it just needs redirecting uh, to the one who can really quench it. But we so easily splash around in the puddles of ambition or money or relationships, and we think it will satisfy. Uh, the, the famous author C.S. Lewis uh, famously wrote this. You might have heard it before. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Uh, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant, ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now Jesus says, only I can satisfy your thirst. You were made for more. You have a bigger, better purpose. You were made for relationship with the one who made you. But back to Jesus' conversation with the woman. It suddenly turns to the topic of worship. Uh, But what's the link between worship and and, and what we've been talking about already? 
In verse 18, the woman says, uh, what you have said is true. Uh, you're right. Uh, you know my past. Uh, you seem to be a prophet. You know things. So how do we worship? Uh, is it on uh, this mountain uh, like we think it is as Samaritans? Or, or is it in Jerusalem like you Jews seem to think? It was one of the biggest theological questions of the day. Now, some people seem to think that she was just trying to deflect the conversation away from her husband's here. Ask a difficult question, great deflection. Always works. But given the way Jesus has uh, supernaturally put his finger on her sin and brokenness, uh, and she's seen that he's someone special, uh, it seems more likely to me that she genuinely wants to know, uh, how do I worship? I recognize that I'm lost. How do I worship? And Jesus says to her, verse 21, everything's changing. It's not about where you worship anymore. Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? To worship in truth means that we worship what is true about God. You see, are we actually getting to know God as he really is, as he's revealed himself? Uh, or are we kind of creating a God of our own imagination? Uh, I don't know whether um, you've ever been, uh, if you flick it on again, Melanie, um, I don't know if you've ever been uh, set up on a date with a friend uh, maybe it's happened to you. Uh, and you can kind of build this idea up in your head of what the person's going to be like. Uh, you really want it to work out, and you've got this idea of what you want. Uh, and then you go on the first date, uh, and they're completely different to what you're expecting. I don't know when it, whether in a good way or a bad way. But uh, if we're seeking satisfaction in things other than God's, uh, it can be very easy to, to mold God's uh, into to what we think we want him to be, to fit those things. Uh, he can easily become a, a bit like a cosmic vending machine, uh, the God who should give me whatever I want. Or if we see God as some kind of cosmic force, uh, then we'll have a cold reverence towards him. Uh, or if we, we see him as a mate, uh, then everything becomes centered on us. Uh, there's none of the awe and reverence and uh, and worship of which he's really worthy. And we need to get to know him in truth. And so, what do we see of what he's really like in this passage? Uh, we see that he offers living water to whoever wants to drink. Uh, he offers us satisfaction, life in all its fullness. Is that how you see God? And how does God offer us this living water, even with all our sin and our baggage and our brokenness? Well, there's only one other place in John's gospel where Jesus mentions thirst. And it's when he's about to die on the cross. And he says, I thirst. And it's because he was willing to thirst and ultimately give his life. Uh, that we can have our thirst quenched. Is that how you see God? 
And that's who God is, uh, the one who flung the stars into space and yet is willing to minister to the marginalized. The one who offers living water and yet is willing to thirst. The one who was willing to die uh, so that we might have eternal life. Uh, That's the true God. And it's in worshipping him uh, and knowing him that we find true satisfaction. True worship is where our thirst directs us to worship uh, in a real true knowledge of God uh, and with a heart that is directed towards him and a mind that's full of his truth. He wants us to worship in truth and spirit. Uh, now, that doesn't mean uh, in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Greek just means in spirit, uh, in our inner being. Uh, God wants people to be satisfied in him, uh, to rest in him, to love him. Now, that's not always what we're like, is it? That's not always our experience. Uh, but that's where our thirst should drive us. So let's pray that we would learn to satisfy ourselves in the Lord. Uh, Rather than foolishly chasing after other things, uh, we need to bring those things before the Lord, uh, at the fount of living water, and ask him to change our hearts so that we rest in him. Let's pray. In Psalm 63, the psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Father God, We thank you that we have a spring of living water in Jesus. Thank you that he satisfies and that his living water wells up to eternal life. We pray that you would change our hearts, that we might earnestly seek you like the psalmist and be satisfied in you. Please show us where we are believing the devil's lies, the areas where our hearts go astray and change us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.